This is the message from Connection Community Church for Sunday, October 24th, 2010. Elijah, God prevails. Well, good morning again, Connection Church. My name is Carrie Jones. I'm Alan Jones. And we're two sinners who have been saved by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with us, please? God, we thank you for today, for the blessing that it is. Thank you for carrying us through the night and bringing us here. It's no accident that we're here. So, Lord, open up our hearts so that we might hear your message found in Scripture, that we might learn from Elijah and apply what we've learned to our lives. We pray this in your most holy and precious name. And all of Connection Church said, Amen. Amen. And so today we are going to conclude our series on Elijah. Two weeks ago, we saw how God prepared Elijah to be a man of God, to do the kingdom work that God had planned for him that he didn't know about. And a lot of preparation was needed. And then last week, we looked at how God provided for Elijah. Remember, there was a great drought, and and things were really, really tough, but it was just building up Elijah's character, and God provided for Elijah and for the widow of Zarephath and for her son. And so today, we focus on how God prevails, how God prevails And our focus is 1 Kings chapter 18. As chapter 18 opens, God tells Elijah to present himself to Ahab, that evil king of Israel, and that God would now send rain to the land after more than two years of drought. Now when Ahab meets Elijah, he addresses him as troubler of Israel. Boy, that's quite a title. And Elijah corrects him, telling him that it's Ahab and Ahab's father's family that have made the trouble for Israel. He tells them that they have abandoned the Lord's commandments and have followed the Baals, the gods of the people in that region. Elijah then tells him to summon all the people of Israel to meet him on Mount Carmel and also to bring the 450 prophets, the spiritual leaders of Baal, as well as the 400 prophets or spiritual leaders of Asherah, who now eat at the table of Jezebel, the king's wife. Can you believe it? This guy who is king of Israel, king of God's people, has 850 prophets of of gods other than the God of Israel eating at his table. He's a whack job. Go ahead. Wow. (laughs) Tell us how you feel, Alan. You know, sometimes you just can't hold it in, you know? That's right. You guys got it. He's been pent up all the last two services. So we're ready to roll here today. To say really how he feels about this guy. So we've got a lot going on here in 1 Kings chapter 18, but the key players are Elijah and Ahab. All right? So here we have it, and this is very, very interesting. Elijah calls Ahab out. He calls him out. He is so gutsy. He calls him out, and I'm just wondering, would I do that? Well, wow, it's really a tense situation here. 
And so actually we haven't really seen anything because Elijah's just getting started. This is only the beginning. So Ahab does, in fact, send out the word to all of Israel, and he assembles the people and the prophets of those other gods on Mount Carmel, just as Elijah asked him to do, told him to do. And, you know, you have to wonder, this is the king. This is the king of Israel, and, 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 and he's following the instructions of this prophet of God, of the God that he doesn't even pay attention to. Maybe a couple of years of drought, a couple of years of no crops, no food, a couple of years of dried up brooks and streams. Maybe the, the king figures the guy that brought that on, that God used to deliver that, maybe he's going to also use him to deliver them out of it. So he does what Elijah tells him. And so we want you to try to picture what's going on in, in your head. Try to picture the scene. Just don't hear the words. But picture, Elijah has everyone gathered on the mountain, and he uses this moment to lay down the gauntlet, to issue the challenge, to ask this tough question. So let's take a look at Scripture and see what Scripture tells us now. 1 Kings 18, verse 21. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Good question, isn't it? Good question. How long will you waver between the two opinions? It's a good question for us as well. Who are you going to follow? The God of creation, the God of of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel, the God who is the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, or some other God? You know, the God of the Amorites and the God they call Baal seem pretty removed. Do you know anybody this week that prayed to the God of Baal? Anybody here? No, I didn't think so. That's, That's pretty far. That's not really relevant to us, and, and so we kind of kind of write that off. But how about this? How about the God of the almighty dollar? How about the God of the big mortgage? How about the God of the workplace? How about the God of the bigger and better stuff? How about the God of looking good? <laughs> how about the God of vanity? How about the God of appearances? Or how about the God of, uh, of uh, um, addiction? How about the God of lust? How about the God of desire? <laughs> you know, we have a lot of gods other than the one true God. We, we might not call them Baal or use those names, but we, we, have, we have other gods. And, 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 and just as uh, they back then had a lot of uh, other gods that they worshipped, other than the one true God. And so the challenge for us today is the same as the challenge that Elijah offered the people on that mountain that day. Who are we going to choose? Who will we choose? The one true everlasting God or some lesser God? Well, the people who gathered listened to Elijah, and they said nothing. 
They didn't even have a response when he asked this question, who will you worship? The God, my God, or your God? Their answer was nothing. They had no response. What would your response be? Who are you following? What is your response? When the people said nothing... Here's what happened, 1 Kings 18, 22 through 24. Then Elijah said to them, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left. Boy, I bet he was feeling pretty conspicuous, wasn't he? <laughs> but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Here's, here's the smackdown challenge. This is great. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood but not set fire to it. I'll prepare the other bull. You know, these guys must have not only been prophets, but they must have been butchers, too. Can you imagine if some Sunday we brought a bull in here and just butchered it up in front of you? Just think of how much time that would take. Anyway, back to the scripture. Um, I'll prepare the other bull, put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. And then, then you call on the name. Here it is. This, is. this is the challenge. This is great. Then you call on the name of your God. I'll call on the name of the Lord. God who answers by fire, he's God. It's pretty cool. It's like one of those uh, wrestling, one-on-one wrestling things. You and me, right? In the, you know, one of them ring things. Okay, uh, winner take all, so to speak. And then all the people said, what you say is good. Yeah, they finally said something. And so the showdown <laughs> begins. Elijah pits his God against Baal. They will call on the name of their God, and Elijah will call on the name of the Lord. In fact, the God who answers by fire, he is God. That's who Elijah will call upon. It doesn't get much better than this, does it? I mean, this is pretty dramatic. If you, right there, I mean, he's like putting on all stops. He's taking out all stops, and he's putting on because he's the only one, Right? There's 450 prophets. He's the lone guy representing the God of Israel. You know, it's tough to be much more dedicated, much more trusting, much more faithful than Elijah at this point in time. You know, you got to give it to him. He is absolute gutsy. Absolute gutsy to be that faithful. And you know, the people notice. They notice. They don't say much, but it's more than they said before. (laughs) What you say is good. Okay. And so Elijah tells them to go ahead and prepare the sacrifice to get that ready, except for lighting the fire, of course. And then he tells them to call on the name of their God. And so they do as Elijah instructs. They call on the name of Baal. They call on the name of Baal from morning till noon And guess what they hear? Nothing. They call on the name of Baal. They say, oh, Baal, answer us. And they shout, oh, Baal, answer us. And guess what? No response. Nothing. Baal does not answer. And so they take some time and they dance around. They're trying to get this Baal to hear them, they dance around the altar that they've constructed, and still no answer. Wouldn't that have been fun to watch? Amazing. So scripture tells us (laughs) at noon, Elijah 
starts to taunt them. This is what Elijah says. Elijah says, shout louder. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. Now, I hear some giggles here. This really is scripture. This is the word of God that we read about. It's so cool. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until the blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. Say the rest with me. But there was no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. Do I taste just a hint of sarcasm? In <laughs> it's huge, isn't it? I mean, he is absolutely just, just having a field day, verbally challenging. But you know what? It's even better than it appears at first. Um, see, in Scripture sometimes... Uh, a euphemism is something, a nice way, a, a PC way of, of saying what really should be said. You know what I mean? And Scripture has a lot of euphemisms. And unless you can read the footnotes or have the footnotes or a commentary or something, sometimes we miss it because we don't grasp, you know, what uh, those euphemisms are back in the original. I'll give you an example. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy. Busy means like busy like as in, Maybe your God's busy relieving himself. I don't think they believe you, Alan. <laughs> New Living Translation, English Standard trans, uh, a version. A guy up in the booth there said, Alan, it's not that I don't trust you, but I look, up the, uh, look it up. And you were right. Because yeah, it's there. Because the, what he's, I mean, he's really messing with these guys. Can you imagine saying, what's your guy? I'll go in the bathroom? I think it's hilarious. I think it's absolutely hilarious that Scripture allows that in there because that's just real human, isn't it? That's what somebody might say. He is absolutely taunting them to pieces. And then when he goes on and says, maybe uh, he's sleeping, you see, they thought that their god Baal was the god of storm and rain. Well, in the summertime or that time of the year when it's real dry, they thought maybe he was sleeping. Well, the thing about traveling, he's been gone for two years during this drought. Maybe he's vacationing in Europe or something. He must be on a cruise. He's been gone for two years. He's just absolutely messing with these guys at this point in time. It's absolutely hilarious when you think about what he's doing and how gutsy he is because it's one against 450. So the Baal followers did all sorts of things to try to get their God's attention, including slashing themselves with swords and spears until blood flowed, yet still nothing. Nothing was happening. There was no response from their God. So Elijah is done messing with them. Then now it's time to really have the showdown. So he calls the people over and he prepares the altar of the Lord according to Scripture because um, they, by then it had been destroyed. And he takes twelve stones. You ever notice in Scripture how that twelve is such an important number? Twelve stones, one representing each tribe of Israel, 
and, and he builds an altar in the name of the Lord. And then after he builds the altar, he d- digs a trench all the way around it. And then, you know, he puts the, uh, the pieces of bull on top, on the wood, and then he has the people fill four large jugs of water and pour them all the altar, and it flows over there and fills the and does that th- two more times. So there's a total of 12 large jugs of water. He's flooded the place, hasn't he? Now, let's... Water and fire usually don't mix, do they? I mean, now, you think maybe lighter fluid? That would, you know, that get the thing. No, he used water because he wants to absolutely let them know that this isn't something that just happens by chance. When this thing happens, it's absolutely going to be of God. And, you know, if he could even work through 12 jugs of water, this God is really something. And so Elijah steps forward and he prays. I love this prayer. It's 1 Kings 18, verse 36 and 37. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, that you are turning their hearts back again. You see, that was the desire that the people gathered would realize that you, O Lord, are God. He was praying that they would turn their hearts back again, turn their hearts toward the one and only true God. And then here's, here's what happens next. First uh, Kings 18, 38 through 39. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice. Wow. Fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water from the trench. It's pretty all-consuming, isn't it? And... Um, And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate. They fell flat out on the ground, and they cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And so we see here that God prevails. God prevails. Elijah was ready for it. He was prepared for it. God had prepared him way back, and God had provided for him. Everything was in place for Elijah to be God's hands and feet and voice. And Elijah was faithful. He was faithful to the call, and God prevailed. Elijah was faithful because of his great faith in that situation, which had to be such an incredible situation. I can't even imagine it. God prevailed in Elijah's life. And here's the thing. God prevails in your life as well. In your life, your life, God prevails in your life, God prevails in your life. November of last year, my boss came to me and told me that um, the, the two senior managers 
in our group, um, we were going to consolidate into one job, and it was going to be located in the uh, United Kingdom. And that uh, they still wanted me to stay on and work through June of uh, this year to finish the project we were working on. And then at that point, I no longer had a position. The biggest fear was obviously, how am I going to provide? I mean, I was the only provider for the family. Um, so, you know, your initial thought is, you know, what if I don't get another job? How am I going to take care of the, the family? And, um, you know, what are we going to do? I was the breadwinner in terms of, you know, I'm the one working and, and the only one working in the household in terms of bringing in income. So, we had some real tough decisions to make, whether we both had to go back to work. And so, it was really a stressful situation. You know, it was my first roadblock in my life since finding Christ that really, you know, I had to rely on him through this process. Because if you looked at it from a, an objective point of view, it was bleak. I mean, we were in an economy where there is no other jobs, especially at the level I was coming out of. There wasn't any jobs like that. And you didn't expect there was going to be any jobs like that because, you know, we were at 10% unemployment. Banks were down, downsizing all over. You know, how was I going to find a position? There were days that I definitely was worried. What am I going to do? Am I going to be able to, is this going to work? Am I going to find a job? But I can tell you that not only did my faith help me through the process, the real thing that helped me through the process was my wife. There was times where, you know, I would get turned down for jobs and I would be down. And she would lift me up just by saying, don't worry. She never had fear, never showed fear. And she just kept me so solid in my faith throughout the process and that to me is a testimony of God being in our family and you know through her God showed me that it was going to be okay our faith you know prevailed I mean it, it absolutely was God that got us through it but also once we gave it to God not only did we get through it we got more than we ever asked for and we got even, you know, we, we got taken care of beyond what we had expected. Um, we were ready and we were willing to do whatever God wanted. And, you know, God, I think, took care of us because we were obedient to what he wanted for us. I always think that God's sitting there going, look, just give it to me. Give it to me. Come on. He's just sitting there watching you and you're struggling and you're, you're fighting it and you're, you're trying to be you know, worldly and figure out things on your own and, and take control on your own and do it um, without his help. And you, know, you can tell he's just sitting there going, just give it to me, give it to me. And when you do give it to him, that's when he takes over and you know, blesses you above and beyond what you can imagine. And you know, why, is it, why do we fight it? No matter what happened through this process, I wasn't going to lose my faith. I wasn't going to lose Christ. I may lose my job. I may not have as much money. I may not have as much things. I may have to sell my home. I may have to live on the street. But I still don't lose Christ. So I'm winning no matter what. Thanks, Bill. Sharing that this week and the last couple of weeks. I got to see and be a very small part of uh, God prevailing just this week. I, um, it was on Wednesday. I was up at AI DuPont Hospital. As some of you may know, they were transplanting a piece of liver from our niece's husband to their daughter. 
the day of the surgery, I, I got to the hospital in the morning before the surgery, and I went to see Jim first, my niece's husband, and then went to see uh, the room where Suze and my niece and her daughter Lauren were. And Susan asked if I could stay with Lauren while she went and saw Jim before surgery. And I said, sure. And so I got to hold this um, six-month-old child who was sick beyond imagination. She hadn't eaten since midnight. Every, any of you had surgery? And, you know, it applies to babies, too. No eating after midnight. So Susan said she had expected her to be kind of cranky, but she wasn't. In fact, when I held her, boy, she snuggled right in. She must like soft things. And... Um, <laughs> Snuggled right in and just fell right asleep on my chest there. And um, we talk in our saw group about our closest moment with Christ. That was mine. Because in that moment, I knew God was going to bring about a miracle that day. And the fact is, God did bring a miracle that day. Everything went well with the surgery, went as expected, better than expected in some ways. And since then, we've heard there have um, been some challenges. They had to open Lauren back up because they thought she might have some infection, and that's not a good thing. And Kind of set her back a couple days. But all in all, things are good. They're real good. And, 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 and we look forward to the next chapter of this miraculous opportunity God has given us to watch God prevail. And the really cool thing is that God has prevailed and God will prevail way beyond what happened at AI Hospital last Wednesday. God has already used and will continue to use this little girl to draw people to him. God will use Lauren and has used Lauren not just for Lauren's sake, but for our sake so that we could lift ourselves up in faith on Lauren's behalf. We would venture to say that thousands of people have been praying on Wednesday and since then. Many of you have been part of Lauren's prayer team. Thank you so much. Please keep it up. The next mm. few weeks and even months are critical. She needs prayer. But thank you so much. And we know that we know that we know that no matter what, God will prevail. Now, after the surgery, my niece really had a need to see that liver to bring some closure to this whole thing. And in fact, she took Ted, my son-in-law, back with her to take a picture of it because Ted's very photographic. And... Um, when we saw the picture, you know, it, it's a miracle that the child was even alive to go through the surgery with the shape her liver was in. It was absolutely horrible. It's a wonder she was, she was alive. But what's really incredible is that, that the 24 hours after that surgery, she no longer was the deep orange, probably about the color of your shirt, Steve, <laughs> when you sit close yeah. to it. Mm -hmm the day of the surgery, and the next day, uh, a pale, light tan was her complexion. Um, her eye, white, uh, the whites of her eyes that 
that day of the surgery were almost a fluorescent green, were now nearly the white that they ultimately will be. 24 hours. And, and this fluid in her body, the stuff that, uh, if your liver isn't working right, becomes toxic. 24 hours was just 10% the amount that it had been before that procedure was done. Wow. Unbelievable. You know, no matter how taxing life can be, what struggles we have, what challenges we are faced with, and we're faced with some pretty big challenges. I know many of you have huge things that you're facing in your life. No matter what it is, no matter if you sometimes wonder, is God there? We are here to tell you that God is there. God is here. God is on God's throne no matter what. God is in control. God is in command. In two words, God prevails. Can you say that with me? God prevails. God prevails. You know, when they were taking Christ, beating him, taking him to the cross and nailing him to the cross. As he hung on that cross, they, most of the people who watched as he was taking his last breath figured that was it, even his followers, even his disciples. They, they figured that was it. End of story. No more Jesus. Adios, goodbye. Uh, never to be heard from again. But here's the truth. That was on Friday celebrate Good Friday. That was on Friday. But the thing was, even though it was Friday, Sunday was coming. Even though it was Friday, Sunday was coming. Can you say it with me? Even though it was Friday, Sunday, Sunday was, was coming. coming. And see, on Sunday, Easter Sunday, that Sunday when the tomb was open, that Sunday when Christ uh, resurrected, that Sunday when he stepped out of the tomb and had conversations with disciples that first Easter Sunday, God showed the world once and for all that God prevails. And thanks to what happened that first Easter Sunday, God continues to prevail in your life, in our lives, through the one who stepped out of that tomb that day, Jesus the Christ. God prevails. So where is it in your life that you need to see, that you need to know that you need to be assured that God prevails. Where is it? What's going on? What do you have a need? Where do you have a need in whatever situation it is to have your faith strengthened, for your spirit to be encouraged? Where is it that you need God to pour more and more of God's self so that you can have that Elijah-like faith so that you know, that you know, that you know that God is there, that God is preparing you, that God will provide, and that God indeed prevails. Where is it? 
God prevails no matter what. So where is the Friday in your life? What's going on to make like today a Friday for you? We encourage you to take some time and pray about it. You can pray in your seat. You can come up. God loves it when we're on our knees. You can pray back at the prayer station back there. The people waiting, to, they'd love to pray with you. If you'd like to pray with somebody, pray to God about that Friday in your life. And give God the opportunity to, you, to remind you that Sunday's coming. That Sunday's coming. Give God the opportunity to remind you that God was and God is and God always will be in charge. You know, as kids, we sing a little song. He's got the whole world in his hands. And we think that that's a kid's song, but it's not a kid's song. It's our song, too. He's got the whole world in his hands. We probably should maybe open our day singing that song and remind ourselves. He got the whole world in his hands. He got you and me, brother. He got you and me, sister, in his hands. Give God the opportunity when you pray today, this morning, to give him the opportunity to let you know that no matter what else happens, God prevails. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Holy God, yeah, you got the whole world in your hands and we so often forget. We think it's in our hands. We look at other gods. We're not real faithful sometimes. Please help us. Please help us to know that even though it might seem like Friday, Sunday's coming, and you got it in control. Please help us to know that you already got the end of the story written, and it's a glorious ending of the story. We've already received your salvation in Jesus Christ. All we got to do is accept it. All we got to do is say, here I am, thank you. Please give us, uh, help us as we pray to you to remind us that you are in charge, you prevail, and everything will be okay. It's in Christ and in your Holy Spirit we pray and all God's children said, Amen. Thank you for taking part in sharing the message for this week. For more information about Connection Community Church, please visit our website at www.connectioncc.org. You can also reach our church offices at 302-378-7692. Connection Community Church connecting people with Jesus and the life that he offers.